0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jones. Baden.
1: he's got it. England have won the World Cup by the biggest of margins. Stokes flashes la- it away. La- through the
0: why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was seventeen? Why does it always rain on me? Even when the sun is shining, I can afford the light. Well sorry, but I had to play that
2: um, to introduce our podcast looking back at the final day of the old Trafford Test match. Dry your tears if you're an English fan, enjoy the champagne. If you're an Australian fan, because at 5.24, uh, today, Sunday, the 23rd of July, Australia are officially retaining the Ashes with the game at Old Trafford washed out. I'm sure you're all aware of that by now. And it's it's sad, really, and it's a bit of an anticlimax, Simon, really, isn't it? Because, well, it's obviously an anticlimax for, for English fans, but... In a way, it rather replicates. Everybody said about the 2005 Ashes that there were so many similarities with this series. And that's another one, uncannily, isn't it? That series was decided when the umpires went out at about the same time on the fifth day and just removed the bales, uh, declaring the match a draw and England, that time, regaining the Ashes. So, uncannily, the weather has ended the story again. And that's slightly depressing, but I suppose... In the end, England have only got themselves to blame.
1: In a way, they have, and we'll come to that, won't we, eventually. Especially, was, you know, there was a bit of a difference in 2005. At least there was that dramatic last day when Kevin Peterson played that scintillating inning. So, you know, there was some drama on the last day. And yeah, England did have a bit of weather at the end. There was some bad light, but they were always going to draw that test match uh, back in 2005. Do you know we could have played today at Edgbaston, at Lords, at the Oval, at Trent Bridge, at Southampton? And people calling for test matches in the north. It's just one of those (laughs) things, isn't it? It's just one of those things. It rains in England and you cannot predict it from one day to the next and you cannot predict where it's going to land from uh, one day to the next. Although I I would say that I I saw a tweet from Simon Wilde, Sunday Times cricket correspondent, saying it was the 32nd day uh, that's been washed out uh, at Old Trafford during its test history, which is the most of any ground. One day washed out. 2.7 2.7 test matches at Old Trafford. I think the next one is Trent Bridge, which is something like one day washed out for every 5.9 or or something like that. Anyway, it's just unfortunate. England played really well in this game. They just didn't have enough time to force victory. And so Australia retained the ashes. It's, it's not a first time that you know, it, this has happened and, and England were helped by the Manchester weather a, a decade ago, yours, when they were 2 nil up in the series and they actually held the ashes and the most of the last day was washed out and England you know, retained the ashes then. So it's, this happens, what's the old phrase, swings and roundabouts? It happens in cricket, doesn't it? it, it, it the weather affects it and it's one of those, it's, it's probably the most irritating and unfortunate thing about the game of cricket.
2: Yeah, and actually England have had uh, the the best of the weather conditions in quite a bit of this series. I mean, I suppose um, you, you, one could say, given your stats there from Simon Wilde about Manchester, I wonder whether it's wise in the future having the Old Trafford test so late in the series. Perhaps it should be earlier in the series so that you can guard against the likelihood of things like this happening. But, you know, that's a, a bit of a pipe dream, I suppose. And in fact, Old Trafford isn't even on the Ashes list until... Uh, 2031 at the earliest, which means that actually England will go 50 years without beating Australia at Old Trafford, because the last time they did it it was 1981, which we've heard Ian Botham talk about, that brilliant 100 he made there in 1981, but England haven't beaten Australia there since, and it sort of seems to be an iconic place for Australia. We've heard all about the ball of the century, bowled 30 years ago at Old Trafford, and that seems to be the sort of defining moment from Ash's history of the last 40-odd years uh, at Old Trafford, and obviously this one now, which England, you know, dominated this game so well. And, and you know, they don't deserve a draw here. They were really in charge of this match. But it, it, it's the it's the penalty for losing the first two tests, isn't it? It's so hard to come back, especially given English weather conditions, which are a bit fickle. Um, it's always going to be difficult. It's why no team has come back in the ashes from 2-0 down since about the 1930s. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the game lasted for 270 overs in all. A normal test match would last for 450, or at least a maximum of 450 overs. You, you rarely get that many because of change of innings and slow over rates and things like that. I did note that because of slow over rates in the game, so this wasn't just Australia, this was England as well, that we lost 24 overs from the playing time. So we could have had 24 more overs. Well, you know, you just don't know what would have happened as a result. But you know, England were a bit slow at times but yeah, and then people say about the declaration or, or England not declaring early i don't think that would have had any effect if they declared earlier in you know, australia made a fist of it didn't they in their their second innings the pitch was good if england had declared with a 200 lead the chances are australia might be you know might have ended the match 250 for 8 or 270 for 8 uh, we we don't know but th- the point being england would not have had time uh, to win the game i, I don't think anyway uh, you 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 just you, we, we thought there was going to be no play yesterday, and there was play. We thought there might be play today, and there wasn't. It, you know, it's so difficult, isn't it, with the with the weather and trying to second-guess it?
2: Well, will you say that, but I mean, the, the, these players and these teams are armed with fantastic data now on the playing side... Why isn't it possible to get more accurate weather yeah. forecasts? I, 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 that might be—that's a. Well, they were reasonably like,
1: accurate, yours weren't they? They were reasonably. Yeah, well, I mean, they,
2: well, well, are they? I mean, there was. T- there it tended it changed a lot, and you were saying there's about nine different forecasts, yeah. and no one could quite work out which is more accurate. Nobody's expecting to play on Saturday at all, mm. and you got thirty overs, and originally there was the thought about some play on Sunday, and now obviously none. Mm. And it 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 felt like when Ben Stokes finally. Well, the innings finally ended, he didn't declare, and when the innings finally ended, that, that England were confident that there would be time over, over Saturday and Sunday. So they were obviously party to some information which suggested that there would be play uh, over Saturday and Sunday. And, well, they got 30 overs in, admittedly, but basically they were wrong. So, look, I, I don't know how possible it is. I know weather's, weather forecast is, in, is, is difficult and that you get microclimates... And there was a lot of talk about heavier rain further north today, uh, but it sort of they got the edge of it at Old Trafford. But I mean, wow, it was glorious in
1: in London today. They should have just transported everybody down to Lords or or the Oval and played there instead. Well, they're going to transport everyone down to the Oval on well this week, aren't they, for the Oval Test match? And England do have the chance to to draw the series. There are World Test Championship points on offer as well. Let's not. Overlook that. And, of course, there's that record to defend, isn't it? Australia have not won in England for 22 years. So, you know, there is something for England uh, to go for. Absolutely, definitely. And Australia want to come to England and win the series. They haven't won for more than two decades. So there's a lot to play for at the Oval, but not the ultimate, not the ashes. They, they are not going to be on the line uh, on Thursday onwards. But, yeah, it's still going to be a fascinating occasion with, you know, big crowds and everything. But, it, yeah, it just, it just feels... I don't know, it feels the, the the climax of this series has threatened to have has been taken away. And I think that is unfortunate.
2: Yeah, and of course it is uh, also. It means that the likelihood of uh, the final test being on terrestrial TV has now been removed because there was quite a lot of talk about that, that Sky would give the final test to somebody like Channel 4 to do a simulcast, as they did with the World Cup final in 2019, and that obviously captured the nation's interest. So it's going to be harder now, well, firstly, for Sky to to be able to justify that, and I'm sure they probably won't do it. And secondly, you know, it won't capture the nation quite the same way. I mean, the figures, the viewing figures have been good for this series in sort of 2 million kind of plus for Sky and some good digital figures with the BBC, but it's it's nothing compared to... 2005 when 8 million or even 9 million people watched so the, the nation has lost the opportunity there to kind of buy into the excitement of the ashes I know people consume it different ways now but there's no substitute for seeing it live on TV and there won't be that opportunity now, which which is a shame. Yeah, it is.
1: It is, absolutely. You can imagine the occasion, you know, the demand for tickets. Well, they sold out, but, you know, people still try to find ways of getting tickets and the, the interest, people sitting on the roofs and all that sort of thing around the ground, which we had in 2005. Anyway, it's not to be who said life's fair, uh, no one. Uh, it's it, it's just it's sort of the nature of the game, isn't it? It's it, you know it, it's and there are you know there are bigger things going on uh, in life at the moment. You know there are there are wildfires raging in you know parts of Europe where actually they could do with some of Manchester's rain where it, where it's so hot. So you know you've got to keep it in perspective, haven't you? But uh, you know from a sporting perspective, it's just. It's, it's it's disappointing, sad, frustrating for England for Australia. I mean, their supporters will say, and I think quite rightly as well, uh, it, it, you know, rain is possible in England. It's, rain is possible anywhere. Actually, I think Sydney is actually more rain is rainier than Manchester. Anyway, but the point is, England made mistakes, too many mistakes earlier in the series, and they have paid for it. As as you alluded to at the start of the podcast, I, I would go back to Edgbaston. I think that was where the you know ultimately I think where the series was won and lost. And I think we felt we I know felt it at the time that was a game England should have won. Uh, I still think the declaration was nonsense, absolute nonsense and I uh, you know I I just a ridiculous decision to declare. Uh and England made mistakes in the game as well, didn't they? They missed chances, they dropped catches, missed stumpings and they frittered uh, wickets away. It was a it was a great game at Edgbaston, but Too many mistakes made. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious
0: prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All the games have been good, but, uh, I mean, actually, I'd go back. And if we'd like to recap on those first two tests and where England did lose... Well, I think, to, to go back to Edgbaston, the first thing I'd say is obviously the unluckiness of losing Jack Leach. So England didn't have a, 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 an experienced frontline spinner. Obviously, they brought Moeen Ali in at the last minute, but he hadn't bowled at all in red ball cricket for two years. So that was a big risk, and so it proved, because he was unable to have much impact. Also, actually, I thought the pitch was rubbish at Edgbaston as well. It was far too flat. It's a place where England love to play. There's some superb support for England. It's their spiritual home. And they were given a dead flat pitch with absolutely lifeless, useless for uh, our world record-holding fast bowlers, Stuart Broad and, and Jimmy Anderson. I thought, actually, England should have played Mark Wood there, especially given the pitch. But we're told he wasn't ready for either... Edgebaston, all lords I'd like to know a bit more about that now because I feel that was um that was a mistake and obviously it may have been an impossible thing to turn around but England desperately needed in that first test some extra pace we said it at the time 2 days before Mark Wood has to play at Edgebaston. I saw the pitch it looked pretty flat and dry and you know easy paced England desperately needed some extra pace they didn't have it so You know that was a sort of bad start, really. The selection uh, was 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 restricted by injury and so on, and the pitch didn't play into England's hand at all. And then, as you say, just when they were going well, with half an hour left for play, Joe Root 120 not out, they declared um, with 25 minutes to go in the hope of getting uh, some some cheap wickets, cheap early wickets from, from Australia. But it was a it it backfired really badly and. That was one of the key decisions that they, they made in that in that test match. Obviously, there were also missed chances. Bairstow missing uh, Green on two, stumping and dropping a couple of catches uh, of Alex Carey. So that allowed Australia to get pretty much close to England's first inning score of 393. And then things like Joe Root getting stumped in England's second innings. First time he's ever been stumped in his career. So a lot of mistakes made by England in that first test and still australia only won by two wickets
1: mm. also something else as well um, the fields for moen ali as well which is not been talked about a lot but i know uh, some former uh, spin bowlers have suggested actually they should have had a, a player back for, for moen ali a lot more I remember he was pumped down the ground a lot he, you know he was pretty expensive and that that they you know ben stokes was committed isn't he to having the field up the whole time he did it for jack leach but I don't know. I don't think that worked as well. So some runs were frittered away, and Australia got perhaps got a bit closer to England than you know, they should have done in both first and well and the second innings as well. So the declaration, missed chances, perhaps some slightly gung ho cricket. I think one of the points is there's nothing wrong with a draw if you've done your bit to push for a win. I mean when you look back now, I mean that game ended, didn't it? Edgbaston you at 25 past 7 on the, on the final day with Australia scoring 54 for the for the last uh, wicket or the ninth wicket as it as it turned out. And uh, if England had scored a few more in their first innings if they had played a bit more care when they batted the second time round, Australia would have been chasing more the game might well have ended in a draw but I mean would England take a draw at Esbuston now? Of course they would and I felt that at the time people say I oh, know we got to we, we, you know, it, we, they've got to take the draw out of it we've just got to go for the wins but I don't think well, there's nothing wrong with a draw if you've done everything you possibly can uh, to win the game and You know, England did everything they could here, I think, to win the game. And it was a draw. A different sort of circumstances. this is actually the first draw in the Brendan McCullum era. There's nothing wrong with a draw in a test match. You can still stick to your principles, largely. But, Mm. yeah, I, I think that was a game that really got away from them. It was a game they should not have lost. They were in control for most of the time. Uh, and that match and it, it, it felt as if he just got snatched away from them brilliant I mean excellent from Cummins at the end actually that you know match winning cameo there brilliant and Lyon as well really really decisive and Khawaja of course yeah. uh, grinding it out in the first innings as well for Australia
2: yeah and, and for England it was so deflating because we've had this new era of Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes and most of the test matches have been exciting and most of them have been won and there was this momentum going into the first test australia obviously won the world test championship final at, at the oval against india but you felt this was a clash of the titans with england really emerging as a, a strong force and australia very strong as well but uh, it would have taken it out of them that that uh, test win against the indians at the oval and the first test in this series followed fairly sort of swiftly on the on the on the heels of that so england had a great opportunity to grasp the momentum and, and, and really get the whole country behind them. And they squandered it, if we're honest. And and then suddenly they're playing catch-up from yeah. there on. And that's always tough in, in Ashes series against quality opponents like this.
1: Yeah, and you, you think back to to Lords. I mean, too many soft dismissals there, really, as well. England, 188 for one. In reply to Australia's 416. And then three players, bang, 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 caught on the pull. Just after Nathan Lyon had, had limped off, with which looked like a... a you know serious injury it looked like an injury that was going to put him out of the series yeah a, a, a calf pull it just i don't know it, it didn't feel as though they played the moment uh, particularly well i mean i know that pitch was a bit too paced and it was you were a bit of a sitting target and yeah there were some decent ball shots played etc etc but it just felt like they, they could have just reassessed the situation a bit better and just pulled their horns in a bit and sort of ground it down a bit and you know got up close to australia's A first inning score, but I mean, it still needed a a spectacular innings from Ben Stokes to get them close in that game. And I thought Australia played pretty well in that game. I think it was a game they deserved to win. There was Johnny Bairstow stumping as well, which was a, you you you, well, people have their views on it. I, you know, my view is that it wouldn't have happened, of course, if Johnny Bairstow just stayed in his ground like people should really. So it was just one of those moments where your brain gets a bit scrambled you're not thinking straight and you give the team an opportunity which they shouldn't really have and it might have, it might might or might not change the game we'll never know uh, that incident but yeah there are moments at lords when yeah england had opportunity and weren't able to take them but australia played pretty well there
2: yeah i mean obviously it's a bit like tennis isn't it um, a five test series that if you lose the first set you've got to hit back straight away and england lost the first test so they had to hit back at Lord's, and they did have opportunities to do that. And I, I, one area of time that, that really disappointed me was, well I, I got my kids to come. and we were all excited on the third day to come to Lord's to, to see the ashes. and we all <laughs> forked out a fortune like many people to actually buy the tickets to watch. And uh, England was, were perfectly set at 270 for four, and my kids were excited because Harry Brooke and Ben Stokes were in. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Bairstow was to come. And we were thinking, wow, you know, so let's get there early and really sort of lap it up and get, get the expectation running high. And um, within two balls, Stokes had gone. Good ball, actually, mm-hmm. from Mitchell Stark. Then Harry Brook had a, a bit of a kind of mad half hour trying to slap balls from outside, miles outside Leg Stump. He just overdid the, uh, the Baz ball, if you like, and hit a tame catch to extra cover. And, and Bairstow hit a, a, a sort of gentle ball straight to mid on mm. and suddenly they've all gone in the space of half an hour and England then their innings petered out uh, so you know they lost the opportunity there to Australia made 416 England could have got past them if they batted really well but they didn't they sacrificed a lead of nearly 100 and that was crucial mm. in the end
1: yeah England lost their last six wickets for 46 runs in that first innings, uh, you know, from 188 for one as well. You know, they were going well. Australia looked a bit flat. What about uh, the, the pitches that the, the series has been played on? Because they have been quite similar, haven't they? They, you know, we, England wanted flat pitches. Is that was that the right tactic? For
2: well, I mean, no, it wasn't the right tactic. I, I don't agree with you that all the pitches were the same. They're roughly the same. First... I'm not saying they were. T- well, I'm not saying they were well, totally the, the
1: same. But the first two pitches
2: had no pace yeah. or bounce at all. They were dead. They were lifeless. They had. You know, they were sort of deceased pitches. But they were batting they're, 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 pitches. That's
1: what I'm saying. They were, the series has been played on batting pitches. I mean, OK, yeah, at, but, uh, at, at, at Leeds, at least, you know, there were some more banks, wasn't there? But no, it, there was that was a sporty pitch. Yeah. That, was, that was a good pitch to bowl on because especially
2: if the clouds came over, you had carry, you know, the first two pitches, you got an edge, it didn't carry to slip half yeah. the time. Well, that's no good. And England pride themselves on their seam attack, especially the fact that their seam attack is slightly ageing as well. They need a little bit of extra help. And they didn't have any in those first two games. They did at, at Headingley, and you know, praise the Lord, they brought in their fastest bowler as well, who finally was ready to play and, and performed brilliantly. But that pitch had much more in it. Even Mitchell Marsh. Remember, he scored his 100, but he also bowled well on that pitch. He got the ball to swing. He got Zach Crawley out once or twice in the in the match. And, and he, he, people, good bowlers, made things happen at Headingley. That's what England needed to enable them to bowl Australia. I always said at the start of the series, I, I can't see how England are going to get 20 wickets on if they're playing on really flat pitches. Mm. And those first two games, they did get the 20 wickets... But right. well, in, in the second test, they did get the 20 wickets in mm-hmm. the second. They didn't in the first test at, at, at um, uh, Edgbeston because they obviously didn't bowl Australia out in that second innings. But in the second test, they did get the 20 wickets, but it took them quite a long time. Mm. And I, I felt that England needed a bit of help in the pitch to, to be able to make their supreme fast bowlers really their supremacy tell. And, uh, but at Edgebeston and Laws, they didn't have that opportunity. And what, what about Old Trafford? I mean, that pitch oh, yeah, was... that was a good pitch, good pitch. I mean, you know, England... I, I, I mean, I, I mentioned yesterday that uh, the uh, Sunday Times article I wrote today about the lack of movement. The ball has only moved 1.3 degrees on average this year in tests compared to almost two degrees in other years. And that's the years when the, the opening batsmen of both sides have really struggled but England have been able to get you know a stranglehold in quite a lot of games because there's that little bit of extra movement both in the air and off the pitch. This year, there hasn't been that movement. It's enabled England in the last couple of tests to be aggressive with the bat, but still, it hasn't been easy to take wickets. Mm.
1: One thing I thought happened during the series as well, it's, it's sort of strange really, is that Ollie Pope's injury allowed England to balance their side a little bit better as the series uh, went on. They They could play... Four uh, pace bowlers and a spinner. Remember at Lords, they didn't play a, a front line spinner. They played. They did play four pace bowlers at Lords. Um, ben Stokes was a, a fifth seamer. At Edgbaston. Ben Stokes was one of the, was the fourth seamer there, and they did play a spinner. I just, I and but he didn't bowl that very much. He only bowled fourteen overs in the match. And Australia in that match batted for two hundred eighteen overs. So once England got, strangely, Oli Pope's injury allowed them to. To get four frontline pace bowlers and a spinner, and also Ben Stokes in the side as well, and they they just looked to have more ammunition, more firepower. I know it, Mark Wood coming into the side uh, helped that, but I thought at the start they did they did. Just look a bit short. I thought at Edgbaston their bowling attack looked a bit short. I mean, they nearly won the game and they created enough chances to win it really. And they probably should have won it. But even there, the, the attack just looked a bit threadbare. Stokes, you know, not able to bowl very much. He's only bowled how many overs has he bowled in the series? He's only bowled 29 overs in the whole series. You know, England's supposedly premier all-rounder. I mean, he really is he really was there for his batting? Ultimately, to pick up a couple of wickets. But yeah, so that that was an issue as well. They they they. they it was, a, it was a strange situation that 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 Pope injury allowed them to almost play the attack that was more effective. Talking of selection, Chris Wokes, you know, only came into the side
2: for the third test. He has an incredible record at Lords. In fact, I was giving people a, a guided tour of Lords the other day, and of course, he's on the honours board in the home dressing room, both batting and bowling, with a hundred and five wickets. Uh, in in the same game, actually. And, uh, you know, he's got a brilliant record at Lords. Again, he didn't play. And he came in in the third test and made an immediate impact. So I've I've never been totally convinced by Ollie Robinson, to be honest. And obviously, England left him out of this fourth test. I don't know. I I just, he leaves me cold somehow. I know he's a good bowler. And obviously, he's quite good at stirring up the Aussies as well. But there's something about him that I don't feel he has the passion, perhaps, and the the real expertise that Chris Wokes has, plus Wokes' excellence with the bat as well. So that was another little selection error I thought England made.
1: I would counter to that yours by saying he's taken seventy six wickets at twenty two in his his nineteen Test match career. Yeah, was, yeah, there's a lot of talking, wasn't there, from Ollie Robinson before and and during the series as well. There was that spat with Usman, uh, Khawaja at Edgbaston. I don't know. I I think he you know he he was part of a, a coterie of bowlers that England could call on. Josh Tung was another one. And. You know, effective enough. Certainly effective enough, and enough potential. I mean, he did take wickets in the series, so I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, I, I I just felt that what what they needed was was those with the team they sort of ended up with, and they didn't start the series with that. And I think the Stokes issue with the bowling was a was a problem for them. Batting was quite long, uh, you know, the seven main uh, batters at at Edgbaston, but they didn't. Didn't quite have that penetration in their attack, and as you said, that pitch was extremely dead at Edgbaston. But yeah, you know, we we can pick over it. Edgbaston was a, a a massive missed opportunity, and I think Australia can point to that, and they can say, well, okay, yeah, we got away with one at, at, at Manchester, absolutely, but England left themselves a, a lot to do after the first uh, two Test matches, and they they left themselves. At the mercy of something like this, something that that the sort of thing that's happened over the last couple of days at Old Trafford, where only 30 overs were bowled, and you know, when England were in a a winning position in the game.
2: What about Australia? We should just uh, reflect on their performances so far, and obviously, uh, impressive that they've managed to hold on to a, a 2 1 lead in the series without Nathan Lyon for the last couple of test matches I mean he didn't really have much influence even at Lord's did he so they really missed him for, for most of the last three test matches. Mitchell Marks is top of their averages <laughs> who came in only in, in the third test at Headingley. Uh, he's uh, scored 228 runs at 76 and Usman Kawaja, a constant presence in the middle with the bat 377 at 47. Travis Head an interesting one um, he's called a lot of runs, but he always looks fallible somehow. Mm. Um, thirty nine, he averages thirty nine, and then minus Labuschagne thirty eight. Steve Smith, so Australia have done it without a really big contribution from Smith. He did get a hundred and ten in the second test, but he's got uh, two hundred and forty eight runs in the series, average thirty one. So uh, in Australia have, have done uh, well; they're two one up without more than one contribution from Smith or more than one from Warner either who's improved significantly on his terrible series here in 2019, but not, not massively, still averaging 25. So, uh, you know, the Australian batting has been kind of held together, I suppose, largely by Kawaja and a little bit by uh, by Travis Head. Bowling-wise, 15 wickets for Mitchell Stark uh, but, uh, and, and 13 for Hazelwood and 16 for Cummings, but none of them taking their wickets at a particularly low average. 29 was the best average, Stark... And Hazelwood both and Edwards at 29 and Cummins at 33. So, you know, th- th- their stats in a way don't sing to being an incredible team. But I guess that they've performed well, in the first two tests, they've performed at key moments and England has squandered their opportunities.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way of summing it up. That, uh, absolutely. It's been, you know, a lot of the Australians have contributed at, uh, during the series. I think mean, you talk about Mitch Marsh. He actually, I mean, he played really well in the second innings at, at Old Trafford, didn't he? He held England up. If England got you know, a couple of early wickets when they went out to bowl yesterday, they might have been able to win the game uh, yesterday inside the 30 overs. But De you know, Marsh and Labuschagne were superb. And Labochane you know, standing up and making a contribution when it really mattered uh, for his team. Just, just battening down the hatch yesterday, making sure England could surge through and it's been a tight series doesn't it apart from this game that's the bizarre thing about it the only one-sided game in this series has been drawn for you know, reasons that are beyond the players really but the other three games are all tight matches I mean when you look back Australia could be, could be 3-0 up uh, England could be three nil up. Well, England could be four nil up. You know, if it hadn't rained over the last couple of days. But they're they're two one down, and Australia just about uh, won the the big moments. And perhaps England have have squandered uh, some of the big moments. Yeah, it's been a fascinating series. It it, it really has. But it, it, it I, you know what's made it so unsatisfactory is is the conclusion uh, today. But you know, Australia, fair play to them. They 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 won the. A couple of games got themselves ahead in the series. Yeah, it's very difficult, extremely difficult to come back from 2-0 down. I remember you saying something, you know, that everything has to go right uh, for England from here after they lost to the Lords. And also, the weather's got to go right for them as well. And it hasn't. It, it, it hasn't. And that's been their their undoing. So now we move on to the Oval, uh, yours. Do you think it would be a little bit hard for England to get themselves up after... The, losing the Ashes, or do you think actually that there's a massive incentive for them?
2: No, I think they'll be hurting badly because they played great cricket in this last three days, three or four days, and they've been robbed in a way by the weather. So they will want to make amends. And obviously, in the end, who? all right, so Australia have retained the Ashes, but you still want to make sure that you don't lose the series. And they've got a great opportunity now that they've got some real purpose in their in their play and they've identified a couple of outstanding cricketers who really stood up in the last couple of test matches uh, so they will be confident of being able to level the series and it will be one of those slightly weird uh, surreal moments when at the end of the test match if England do win at the oval that they get the match awards and you know the the trophy or whatever for for the for winning that test match and yet Australia will get the chance to actually raise the ashes. And I hope that um, the ECB remember to take a replica urn, because, you know, what happened in 2005 was they didn't actually have one at the ground, and it, the only one on the ground was the one in my VT truck uh, for working for Channel 4. And so I had to present the uh, little miniature replica urn to the ECB to present to Michael Vaughan. And you know what? I never got it back <laughs> either. Um, so, uh, loads to play for, for, for England and Australia, you know, they'll want to win, as you said, mm. they'll want to win the series prop outright, for the first time since 2001, and England want to level the series, and so
1: it, it should be an absolute humdinger. Yeah, just not as much of a humdinger as it could have been, I think that, that, that's the point, isn't it? Okay then, Yods, well, we picked the bones over a, a day when there's been no play whatsoever... Uh, uh, old trap i don't think we've done that before uh, on a podcast looking back at a day's play or a non-day's play that's it isn't it we'll we'll speak to you from the oval where the series will be decided but not the ashes
2: yeah that's true Uh, and by the way don't forget that if you are making it to the oval for the final test You should have a go in the IG Net Gains Arena because that fund is now swelling with all the runs scored against all the great Ashes deliveries in the IG Net Gains Arena, the batting cage that you'll find behind one of the stands at the Oval if you're there. It's free entry as well and it's good fun. And it adds to the net gains fund that the IG company have invested in to create nets all around the country. So thank you to them and thank you to you if you have a go. And we'll speak to you on Thursday evening after the first day of the final test. Thanks for listening.
0: Podcast Network.